We don't have a Destiny dog up here yet, do we? Oh, the, the Destiny dog's at the vet. <laughs> Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, God wants to speak to you this morning. We've had a full-on weekend. We've had 35, or rather, you've had 35 guests living in this building for the last 48 hours. Did you know that? 48 students came up from, or was it 35 students that came up from Glasgow? And uh, they made this their weekend. So they were here Friday, Saturday. They had a great time together. Um, and at least two people got saved. They were out in the streets Friday night in Aberdeen. And several people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, and it is their full intention to come back again and help with the mission project here with the church. And I should also say that we are now working with ORU, that's Oral Roberts University, that they are bringing missions teams to Scotland to work with us. And they will be spending some of that time here in this area to strengthen the churches and the groups we already have and uh, to evangelize. Do you know, great things are happening. Did you know that? I was sharing, I was sharing with the, the leaders meeting yesterday morning that there's an unusual move taking place in U the UK at the moment. Maybe you've seen us tweet it or maybe you've come across it um, and they're calling it the turning. And maybe you remember back in October last year, we had Dr. Patrick Dixon as our keynote speaker at one of the first Sunday events and you'd have seen him on live stream. Uh, he was with us in Glasgow as we live streamed that. Uh, he started life as a professional doctor became a consultant, uh, and then changed career. He became what's called a futurist. So he spends his life consulting for Google, Microsoft, and all kinds of people, and he's written some amazing business books. But he was telling us that he'd just been to Reading, and in the four-day period, more than 1,200 people had made first-time commitments to walk with Jesus and know Jesus. When the little, tiny little group that were running that moment in Reading have started moving around the country and they've been to Manchester, Liverpool they were in Wales last week, in Wales I just happened to be there as they were wrapping up in three days more than 300 people had come to Christ and they were with us in Destiny, Newcastle just this week and by 7 o'clock on Friday 200 people had come to Christ this is our country God's doing a great thing and maybe, maybe you're visiting with us today, as some of you obviously are, and it's great to see you. You're very, very welcome. Um, you might be wondering why we're so excited about people getting saved or becoming Christians, because we think that's the most important thing that anybody could ever experience. And of course, what he's done somewhere else, he wants to do here. Amen? So, turn to your neighbor one more time and say, get ready to hear God's word. Thanks, Alan. Okay, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to an Old Testament book? It's called Ruth. This is a most beautiful book. Um, I know for many ladies, it's their most favorite book in the Bible. But you know what? Even people who, who have not got a great deal of interest in the Bible think that Ruth is one of the most remarkable pieces of literature in history. It's written well, it's a phenomenal story, but inside it there is a powerful message. And very rarely do I read whole chapters these days, I usually read one verse and talk on them, but there's a story here, I just want to read the whole thing. Is that okay? So I'm going to read Ruth chapter 1. And... Um, it used to be my tradition when I was living here that we'd read these scriptures together. Do we have the whole chapter, Jeff? We do? Which translation have you got up there? Okay. Shall we read this together then? Let's read God's word together. Hey, we've got somebody reading it for us back there. Siri. Thank you, Siri, for reading the Bible. <laughs> okay. Ruth chapter 1, let's read 
together. Now, it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Mahalon and Chilion, Ephrathitis of Bethlehem. Listen, before we go on, if you don't know how to pronounce something, just say it quickly, nobody knows any different. <laughs> In Judah, now they centered, they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women, and the name of the one was, and the name of the other, and they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return of each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came about when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let us pray. We turn to your word, O God, and we submit to its superior wisdom, to its authority, and open up our hearts to the faith it produces. We thank you that it produces saving faith, and I'm asking you to save people today. I thank you, Lord, that it produces understanding as to who you are and what you've done, that we may live lives to the maximum as you always intended. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. I need you. We need you. Help us in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Most of us like titles when someone's speaking, so this is my title today. Victor and Victim. The Power and Plan of Redemption. And before we turn to that chapter, let me make an introduction to something that's really important. 
the central declaration of Christianity is not that God is something, but that God has done something. You see, the Bible never sets out to prove the existence of God. It just simply says he is. It's not trying to prove the existence of God. You've come to the wrong book if that's what you want. But what the Bible tells us is what he's done. So the question stands, what is it that God has done? I spoke to a, we, we had a well-known musician at our house this week who was working with one, one of my sons. And the first thing he said to me is, I've been questioning faith. I said, really? He knew I was a pastor. So he thought he'd take the opportunity for a free consultation, I guess. And his first, his query, his question, his comment was, what has God ever done? Look at the mess the world's in. You heard that before? But the Bible says God has done something significant. So what is it that he has done? Well, we could say it in the simplest form and say this, he has provided for us human beings salvation. And in Romans 3, verse 24, we read this. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This verse in Romans, we could put into three headings. Firstly, it's a description and definition of what salvation is. Secondly, it tells us how it, it gives us a definition of how salvation becomes ours. How this, you can make this personal. And thirdly, it tells us how it's been possible for God to provide such a salvation. So I'm quoting Romans 3.24 again, which says, being justified freely by his grace. So the first thing you need to know is this. When the Bible talks about salvation or being saved it actually means being justified see lots of us try to justify ourselves don't we I have a friend recently had a decorator in his house and he told me the decorator he'd left the decorator in a bedroom to paint the bedroom and um, he heard a crash then the decorator comes to the door and the first words that came out of the decorator's mouth was this, I didn't stand on the radiator. <laughs> and he steps into the room, the radiator was off the wall, and there's water shooting everywhere. So what do you think happened? <laughs> He'd stood on the radiator to try and reach something. But he was trying to justify himself. And it seems like a human default position to justify yourself. You know, you end up in an argument with your wife, you want to justify yourself. Your kids want to justify themselves. One time, my middle boy, who was about three or four, was playing with a little boy from next door, and he came in, and his shirt was ripped. And his mother said to him, you've just ripped your brand new shirt. And without fault, deviation, or hesitation, he said, the cat did it. And she looked a little closer and there were straight lines, cut like this. And she said, that's been done with a pair of scissors. And he said, yes, the cat had a pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> but being justified is a real big deal because as far as God looks at us, I don't care how great, good, or morally upright we all are, the Bible says we're all sinners. And we could never justify ourselves. Being made right before God, declared innocent, sins removed. And so salvation in the first instance is God justifies you. God makes you right with him. And he did that by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross so that our sins were placed on him that his righteousness may be placed on us. So it's a divine exchange. That is what being saved is. It's being justified. And you know what? When you're justified with God, you have unbelievable perks. 
God is for you. He's working with you. When even everything in hell seems to be against you, God's for you. A few years back, Sue and I were going through a season in our lives where it seemed like every little thing we had to fight for. Health of our kids, our finances, our home, every little thing. And in the middle of this season, we were standing in the kitchen one day talking. And she said, oh, I just fancy strawberries. It was like, oh, give me a break. Give me something I enjoy. And I opened the back door to take the trash out. And sitting on our doorstep was the largest punnet of strawberries you have ever seen. To this day, I have no idea how they got there. But she'd only just said it, and I opened the back door. I said, Sue, you need to come, come and have a look at this. Is God for us? Does he love you or what? He's even interested in strawberries for you. And that's because you and God have become one. Then that verse in Romans 3 tells us how this salvation became ours. It says justified, listen, these are the most beautiful words in the Bible, freely by his grace. You didn't work for it, you didn't earn it. You didn't pass the exam for it. You didn't keep all the promises. I went to Boy Scouts when I was a kid. I promised to do my best for God and the Queen. I enjoyed Boy Scouts. I got all the badges all down my shirt. But this is about God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But then he tells us thirdly, how this justification, this salvation actually happened. It says, here's the word I want you to see, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We sometimes sing songs, there is a redeemer. What does that actually mean? We know what a savior is. He saves us from our sins and gets us our place in heaven. What's a redeemer? And why is this word redemption so important in the Bible? See, when I first became a Christian many years ago, I actually had lots of serious questions I kept throwing up at God. I don't know if you like that. I had questions. And here's one of the questions I had. God, why couldn't you just say, I forgive you? Why did you have to send Jesus to a cross to go through all that terrible thing? Why wasn't it enough just to say, I forgive you? You tell me to do that with other people. Forgive them. Why couldn't you do that with me? And that, that point, the Bible introduces this enormous theme of redemption. Redemption is a huge theme in the world. Most great movies have as its theme redemption. Somebody who's lost who's being saved. All movies that you love is always about redemption. Writes great novels, makes great stories, but actually the drama of history is all about redemption. This word redemption, when we come to the New Testament, is used ten times. Just stay with me now before we come back to Ruth. And the New Testament word, you'll know, of course, the New Testament is written in Greek and we have a translation into English. But the word means the following. Listen carefully. Firstly, the word redemption means the loosening of clothes. And a case in point comes to mind. Lazarus was raised from the dead. But the first thing Jesus said was, loose that man and let him go. Salvation will give you life. Redemption will set you free. Did you hear that? Lazarus had life, but it was very difficult for him to walk bound up like a mummy. It also means this, setting of an animal loose. And it's used when Jesus sent his disciples to go and get the donkey tied up. I need to borrow a donkey. A man's got one. Go and get it. It's tied up. Loose it. 
It also means this, the loosing of the bands or the bonds of a prisoner. There's something happening in redemption. See, salvation is instantaneous. When I receive Christ as my savior, I am born again, and were I to die in that second, I would be immediately in the presence of God. And that's the only way you can get that to heaven. But it seems like redemption is a, something God is doing for life on earth. It also means this, the paying of a ransom. Like a hostage. You know, someone's held as a hostage. I once met a man who was actually, he, at the time, he was the president of Honduras. And he, he was just sharing a testimony. Before he became president, he was the chairman of their national bank. He was a businessman. And his son of 21 years of age was kidnapped by terrorists. And they held his son to ransom. And he said in his testimony, I'd have robbed and emptied everything in my own bank to get my son back. But they killed him. And he was deeply, deeply wounded by that experience and became almost a recluse. Quit the bank, quit everything. And one day his friends gathered around him and said, why don't you turn that pain into something positive? And he began to run for office. And when I met him, he was the president of Honduras. Particularly with a passion for the young people of his country. But we understand what a ransom is. And then finally, the word redemption means this, to buy or to purchase. Don't know if you've ever been to a pawnbroker. Right? Desperate for cash. You pawn your 50,000 pound engagement ring that you gave your wife. And they'd give you like 5,000 pounds for it. And then if you want it back, you've got to pay interest. You're redeeming it back. This word redemption has all of those meanings. So if we put them all together, we could say, it's the purchase of a release by the means of a payment made. Who is holding us captive? The Bible says sin. We were slaves of sin and of the devil. You might say, well, I've never worshipped the devil. The thing is, he controls every thought, every circumstance, every situation that's moving around your world. We were completely helpless, subject to fate and circumstances, if you like, pushed from pillar to post. And do you know what? Without a saviour, without a redeemer, that's where you are, and that's where the world is. But we read a wonderful thing in Mark 10, Verse 45, Jesus said, for even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And I want to tell you that the book of Ruth, the chapter we read today, is a rem it's a true story. This story actually happened to a, a woman called Naomi and a woman called Ruth. But it's actually a powerful visual aid of God's plan of redemption. How redemption becomes a reality in our lives. So let's go back to the book of Ruth and see if we can understand the points that I've just explained from the New Testament, how they actually work. The book of Ruth was written about one generation after the children of Israel went into the promised land led by Joshua. Right, so Joshua was alive. They'd taken the land. Joshua died. And after Joshua died, there was no leader and the country was governed by judges. Some famous ones, like Gideon, for example. Samson lived in this era. And it's in this era that this story occurs and most people think Ruth was written by the prophet Samuel. But the story opens concerning three women. A generation apart, an older woman and two younger women. But they were bound together in history by pain. The one thing they all had in common was this. 
They were all widows. And they were suffering greatly. In those days, long, long time ago, there was laws and traditions in place which said things like this, that if your husband died, his brother was to marry you so that he could raise up children because your children were your pension. They would look after you and the family name would continue. But the story opens with these three women in pain and the oldest of them, Naomi, saying to the youngest, it's pointless you hanging about. I have no other sons to marry you. And if you hang around all that time, even if it was possible for me to have other kids, would you wait 25 years for this to happen? Just go. Your life has been terrible. And I want to tell you something, right? The book ends up hugely positively. It's got a beautiful ending. But it doesn't ignore the pain. My natural inclination is let's get to the end of the book and see the positive bit. But pain is real. See, I, I need to tell you something. My best friends in the world aren't people who've just had a series of successes. They're people who have felt difficult, difficult things and come through it. They're people with whom I've had to share my own pain. We've cried together. We've stood together. See, you, you, you could go and do your diplomas in counselling, but if you've never felt pain, I don't need to talk to you. Because the information is not enough. It's the reality of life that has an impact on us. And I need to tell you something. It's in the reality of life that God actually meets us. He meets you in that point. Church is not a collection of perfect people with one permanent story of victory. Church is a collection of people who in one form or another have experienced pain and suffering but have found there is a redeemer that has redeemed them and bringing them through from victory to victory. That's what church is all about. That's what church is about. And so pain, pain has a way of bringing people together. Groups gather around their suffering. Groups, groups gather around in this case, bereavement. Groups gather around addictions. Group, groups gather, gather around depressions or, or crises, right? The, there's lots of groups helping people because of crisis. And I want to tell you, you can't ignore the reality of situations and try to press forward until you've had an encounter with a redeemer who can change that so that you don't leave it bitter, you leave it better. And we move from pain to gain. That is the story of redemption. Sometimes people want to leave relationships and companionships when they, when they struggle with an issue. But actually... We don't run from God, we run into God. God is not the kind of God that says, let's walk together when everything's cool. God loves to be a redeemer, to step in when it isn't cool and turn it around. The second thing I want you to see from the story is this, perspectives. You see, this is the truth. We do not actually see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. The chapter that I've just read, just this chapter concludes by Naomi making some very strong statements. In verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why did you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and he's afflicted me? Was that actually true? Did Naomi go out full? She didn't. She left a hometown of Bethlehem because they were starving to death. There was a famine in the land. They couldn't survive. 
She didn't go out full. She went out very, very hungry. It was the problem that took them out in the first place. But all too often, we rewrite our own history. And we have perspectives on things that actually aren't particularly true because of the things that are going on in our own hearts. And this was the case with Naomi. Her perspective wasn't as it really should have been. And no matter who we are, we find ourselves in that way. And we're influenced by our own situation, our own circumstances, and our own experiences. I once heard of a farmer who went and leased a small farm with a few acres and it hadn't been farmed for a while and so he began to develop it and then he, he came to one particular field with really large boulders and he had a little tractor and he needed a very big tractor to move some stuff. So he went to his neighbor and said, do you have a big tractor that I can borrow? And his neighbor said, no, I don't have one any bigger than yours, but I've heard there's a guy about 20 miles away who's got one. Maybe you can go ask him. So he goes to the next neighbor and says, do you have a tractor? And he says, no, I don't have one many bigger than yours, but I've heard about this guy 20 miles away who's got one, but you know, he's a mean old guy. He doesn't like helping anybody. So he said, well, won't bother going there then. And he tries another farmer near him and he says to him, do you have a, a large vehicle I could borrow? And he says, no, mine's the same size as yours. But there is this guy who's 20 miles away, but see, he's just a miserable guy. And he hears the story again. Anyway, this farmer gets so desperate, he thinks, I've no option, I'll go and ask the farmer. And so he sets out on his journey and his running through his mind is, okay, he's got a tractor, but he's a miserable old guy and he's mean and he's bitter and people don't like him and... Eventually, he arrives at the farmer's door and he knocks on the door and the farmer opens the door and says, yes. And the visiting farmer says, and I don't want your stinking old tractor. And walks off. And the truth is, as we journey through life, we're picking up perspectives. Some of which are true and many of which are not. And the only way we can see life as it really is is by letting God tell us the reality of the situation. This is a great story of how situations turn. But it's walking it through in reality. This is where this thing is at. And see, and I know sometimes when we all come to church, we lift our hands in worship and we say, praise God, brother. We bang each other on the back and say, have a great week. Most people are walking back to a challenge. Challenge in the marriage challenge in the finance, challenge in the health, challenge with the teenagers, challenge in the business. Most people are walking back to a challenge. But I want to tell you, there is a redeemer. You don't only have a savior, you have a redeemer. The story unpacks when some choices are being made. And so Naomi decides to go home because she's heard there's food in her land and particularly her hometown, Bethlehem. And so she leaves this far off country, this place called Moab, and she says to her two daughters-in-law, you need to go. First they say, no, we'll come with you. And then she turns to them again, says, you need to go. And then one of them says, okay, I'll go back. I hear you. She cries, I'm going to go. And Naomi lets her go. See, I've discovered in life that when God wants to bring redemption my way, there are seasons in my life where I have to let certain people go. There was nothing wrong with Oprah, but she was not a part of Naomi's destiny. And if you want the Redeemer to work in your life, I'm telling you, you're going to have to make choices at times. That you're going to have to let some people go. You are going to have to let them walk. We've been pastoring for many, many years and in those years we've counseled with people and sat with people. And oftentimes people are trying to be the rescuer. You've got to res they're trying to rescue somebody. Listen, you're not the Savior or the Redeemer. Only God is. And there are times the best thing you can do for that person is let them go. 
Just, just let it go. In 1 John 2, verse 19, John the Apostle experienced this, as did a church. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And so the, the, if you are tying your destiny, your future, your purpose to a person who is completely resistant to every single thing, you got to let them go and leave them to God. I'm going forward. David Livingstone used to say, you can lead me anywhere as long as it's forward. And I know that, you, that's easier said than done. And when I read the story, they were all crying. There was lots of tears in that moment. But choices had to be made. I'm out, out in South Africa in September. The Pretorises, thank God he's a walking miracle, Peter. And preaching at Rema for Pastor Ray. Huge church. 45,000 people and now they have nine campuses of, and each, the smallest campus is 3,000. This thing just keeps growing. And Pastor Ray's told me several occasions. He said, if the devil could have stopped this work, he'd have stopped it by now because he has tried every single trick in the book. But it just keeps on growing. There's a redeemer at work. And he's... I know lots of his own story, but one day he told me the church was at its first phase of significant growth and the youth work alone had grown to 5,000 people. Biggest youth work in that part of the world. So when the youth gather on a Friday night, there's 5,000. And one day the youth pastor who's responsible for this came to Pastor Ray and said, look, I want more money, I want this, I want that, I want the other. Pastor Ray said to him, I cannot give you the things you're asking for. And even if I could, I wouldn't. And the guy said to him, where are you going to find a pastor to lead 5,000 young people? We're the biggest thing in the country. You won't find anybody. And Ray said to him, before you hit that street, God will have found your replacement. And that's exactly what happened. I could repeat that story from many churches around the world. See, there are times when you know God is in control. I have a redeemer here. He's the one holding this thing together. And there are times you just got to release it. Your destiny, listen to me, your, are you listening? Your destiny is not tied to the person who left. Your destiny is not tied to the person who left. Your destiny, your destiny is tied to a redeemer who's committed to a cause who cannot be stopped. But then, I also have to ask you this question in the journey of redemption. Will you let them in? See, your destiny is tied to certain people. Whether you realize it or not, I'm already written into your life story. You will never be able to write your story without me being in the pages. And I'll never be able to write my story without you being in the pages. But you have to make a choice to let some people into your life. Because your destiny is tied to certain people and in this occasion, Naomi had to let Ruth in. Now consider this. Ruth, first and foremost, was a Moabitess. The Jewish people hated Moabites. They were the descendants of Lot. And Lot's family, his, his family line, came about through incest, which the Jews thought disgusting and despicable. So here's a woman who had no fondness coming back towards her. 
But Naomi had to be in a place in her pain, in her suffering, where she was willing to let somebody into her life. And further, letting that person into Naomi's life was a big risk because they were going to go back into, into Israel, back to Bethlehem, back to a people who had a racial problem with Moabites. Let me tell you something else. God had a problem with Moabites. If you read Nehemiah or Ezra, the books in the Bible, right in those books it says, do not marry or associate with a Moabite. But here was Ruth, a Moabite. And she's been woven into a story. Even when you don't belong, grace can bring you in. Even when everything in the world says you should be out, God says, I want you in. But for Naomi, she had to let somebody into her life. And this is what pain can do for you. This is what challenge can do for you. You can build up walls so thick that nobody gets to your heart. You will never find your destiny. You just won't. You have to let some people in. And when those people become a part of your life, what they bring empowers you to walk. And it's just like Jesus said to Lazarus, loose that man and let him go. Something begins to happen about the loosening of the bonds. And although we haven't got to the end of the story, it's several chapters further on. I want to tell you that in chapter one, the bonds of bereavement, the bonds of poverty, the bonds of despair that were tied so tight around Naomi were already being loosed by Ruth's relationship coming into her life. The untying was already happening. Redemption was already taking place. And finally, I want to tell you this. Nothing just happens when there's a redeemer involved. We read that they heard there was bread in the land. We read that Ruth made the most powerful commitment ever coined in any language anywhere. Don't urge me to leave you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse. Here was a Moabite making a commitment. Naomi didn't expect it. It seemed to be just happening. In the pages that follow, we read that then Ruth decided to go out gleaning, and she just happened on the field of Boaz. And she just happened to meet somebody else. I want to tell you that when there's a redeemer at work, he has planned the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. You may feel that you're at a lost staging post without any signpost. You don't know where you are or where this is going, but there is a redeemer that sees it all and he knows where this thing is headed. He knows how he's going to bring this through. Nothing just happens. God is in control. And in my life, so many significant things have happened through insignificant things. So many things have happened because I've let people in. And I look back and think, if I had let that person in there or this person in here at that moment in time, where would, we have, where would I have been? The whole, my whole destiny would have been missed. I would have taken a wrong turn. And there's a risk in letting people in. There's, there's a risk in being vulnerable. There's a risk in building meaningful relationships. Even building it while you're hurting. But I want to tell you, nothing just happens. There is a redeemer. Jesus, God's own son, who's paid the price to redeem you back. He's done everything necessary to bring you through. And even if you feel you're on the journey and you don't know exactly where you are, my Redeemer is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Amen.
Amen. Wow. Pray with me, would you? God is awesome. He is a savior, but he's also a redeemer. Salvation will get you to heaven. Redemption will give you victory on earth. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you've been coming a little while. Maybe this is your first time. But as, as yet, you don't know this redeemer. You don't know what it is to be saved. See, I'm, I'm not talking to you now about becoming part of a church. I'm talking to you now about a relationship with God. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm asking you a personal question. What I've said to you today is the truth. This is God at work. And he wishes for you to make it personal, that you can say, I'm saved, I have a redeemer, someone is engaging with my life. I would like to tell you this, even before this moment, he has already been engaging with your life. Nothing just happens. And in these moments, as we wrap up church today, maybe you are in this place, I, I, need, I need to make this personal. I need to give my life to Christ. I, I need a savior, I need a redeemer. I need him. I want to tell you, he has done everything. There's only one thing that remains for you to receive it. He's died on the cross for your sins. He's offering you forgiveness. His desire is to live in your heart and to lead you forward. Is to engage with you. He wants to give you life and set you free. And engage with all the circumstances ahead. And I'm asking you today, are you ready to make such a decision? Would you like to make such a decision? I'd love to pray for you that that decision becomes concrete reality in your experience, that you can leave this place knowing something has happened today. And I accept you not understand it all. I'm still learning after all these years. But one thing I know, that God accepts me when I call on him. And he'll accept you today. And I'm going I'm to give you an opportunity in a second or two to allow me to pray for you. And it doesn't matter what your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your father, your mother thinks. This is you now. You. Personal. You. And the start of the journey is by you submitting to God and saying, I need you, God. I want you. I want to be saved. I, I, I need you as a redeemer. And that's praying that that actually happens then. So, let me pray for you. I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing. If you want me to pray for you, I, I need to focus my faith for you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed today, if you need this prayer, I'm going to ask you to do one simple thing. That's a really simple thing and don't be alarmed by it. I want to focus my faith for you if you need to be saved and find this Redeemer today. This is all I want you to do. If you need this prayer and you need me to pray for you right now, all I want you to do is this. Would you just lift your hand in the air and then put it down again once I've seen it? And in so doing, it's like you are reaching to heaven if you like. You're saying, here I am. Here I am, God. And then I'm going to pray. And I know something will happen in your heart and in your life. So, is there anybody here today? This is your moment. Just raise your hand with me. It can feel like a huge step to lift your hand six inches. But I want to tell you that Jesus was lifted up onto a cross for you that he would die for you, redeem you, empower you, and help you. And so here's a moment, here's an opportunity, and I'd love to pray for you.
So let me just ask one more time. This is you. Forget everybody else in the whole world. Forget everybody else in the room. Just say, this is me. You lift your hand if you need this prayer right now. And I'm going to pray for you. That today is the day that things begin to change. See, I've discovered nothing just happens. God connects. It's like connecting the dots. And even before this day, he's been talking to you. He's been, he's been nudging you in a certain direction. He's been raising questions in your heart. He's been unsettling some things and confirming other things. It's all part of this journey. But that journey can find a focal point today. And so I'm going to ask again, if you need this prayer, you just lift your hand with me right now. And we're going to pray together. Then, Father, we bless you that there is a Redeemer, God's own Son. We thank you that when we come to know you, we are saved for heaven. But the Redeemer redeems us here on earth from the power of sin, the devil, and every negative thing. We thank you that you are in control of our lives and that gives us such peace. We bless you for all that we celebrated today. We thank you for the significant steps that we've taken as a church today. We pray for our community around here, Lord, as we've relocated into this beautiful building. Pray that we will see a harvest come forward. Pray for more leaders and key workers to come up in the church. We thank you, Lord, that you are committed to the end. And Lord, we say back to you, we are committed to you. We bless you for your love and your grace. We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Come on, give him one great big round of applause. Wow. Hey, there's some teas and coffees. We can relax, enjoy some fellowship. Uh, but if you need prayer, maybe you're sick. Maybe you want someone to stand with you for something. There's a few folks here. We'd be delighted to minister to you. Just say, Kenny. Let's stand and we'll sing our final closing song. And as Pastor Andrew has said today, if you need prayer for anything, maybe a sickness in your body, maybe a family situation, a job situation, a financial mountain, whatever it might be, this is your opportunity to come forward and receive prayer.